I want to welcome you all here today. We just really have just a couple uh, weeks left in, in this Ephesians series, and then uh, we're going to be uh, in our Christmas series, believe it or not. Um, uh, don't get, I guess, too freaked out by that, uh, that Christmas is right around the corner, but there it is. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll uh, continue on in the book of Ephesians, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the day. Uh, we thank you for Jesus, and I especially uh, want to thank you for this book as we're just kind of working through it. Honestly, the last several weeks, just kind of verse by verse, uh, I want to pray uh, that we would uh, receive everything you want us to receive, because there's a lot of different things in this text. Uh, help me to, to stay out of the way of that, Lord, and you just do your work within your people. We thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I wanted to start out this morning by talking a little bit about types of people. According to behavioral analysts, there are really seven types of person. There's seven types of people, and you probably fit into one of these categories in some kind of way, maybe a mishmash version, but you have the planners that you strongly believe in a structured approach and in mapping things out. You believe that the opportunities the future brings can be grasped through meticulous planning and resource allocation. Cheryl and I are both cut from this cloth, the planning cloth. So that means that when we're at home, it's like, what do you want to talk about? Are we going to talk about our kids or are we going to talk about our plans, right? Um, and we spend an incessant amount of time because we both like it, just kind of talking about plans. So there's the planners, there's the explorers. You find inspiration in discovery, the thrill of new experiences. You are motivated by taking up a new challenge or a role, or by you love being given an atypical problem to solve, an exciting, changing future. Bring it on, right? Some of you are explorers. The sage, you are committed to helping your teams and colleagues gain deeper insight and wisdom. Your attributes make you well-suited to playing the role of a mentor or advisor. You are motivated by helping others succeed in their future plans. There's the hero, that you are purpose-driven. You are on a mission to make the world a better place. People are likely to follow you and, and say that you have a, had a huge impact on how people view the future due to your courage and your boldness. There's the collaborators. You seek connections and belonging. Your colleagues and teams recognize you as a supportive, faithful, down-to-earth person. You believe the teams and ecosystems are more future-proof than individuals, and you strive hard at building those relationships. There's innovators. You are imaginative, inventive, and driven to build things of enduring meaning and value. You are more concerned with impacting the future rather than winning personal accolades. There's the outlaw. You often question the rules, but for a good cause, as you have a strong desire to challenge the status quo in order to make things better, you believe that change is a constant and a necessity for the future. So I want you to think about it just for a few minutes and put it on the screen for you. What type of person do you want to be? What type of person 
do you want to be? Certainly personality, just natural personality plays a part. Certainly family upbringing will play a part. My mom used to drill this into my psyche again and again. I remember this so much growing up. She would say, see, pay attention to who you're becoming. Pay attention to the person that you're becoming. What type of person do you want to be, Steve? So I can still hear mom's voice saying those things to me. And certainly faith plays a part in this, right? That faith tells us and challenges us and motivates us to think about the type of people that we want to be, and more importantly than the type of people that we want to be, the type of people that God wants us to be. Faith does that. And here's what is true. The type of person you are, or the type of person you are becoming, will determine the decisions you make and the actions you make. And the actions you take, excuse me. And I think that's probably a no-brainer statement, but the person that you want to be The person that you are, the person you're becoming, determines your actions and the motivation behind those actions. So if you want to be a generous person, that's going to determine several kind of action steps that you will take with your money and your time and your resources and your words even. If you decide you want to be financially successful, that's the type of person you want to be. It will determine the career path you take and the decisions you make. If you determine you want to be a family person, the end of this world, if people considered you a family person, you would... Wear that as a badge of honor. And so family is super important to you. Or if you want to be a person of faith, that determines your steps. So what type of person do you want to be? We've transitioned in the book of Ephesians. Uh, The last several chapters have kind of been a lot of gospel, a lot of good news, a lot of what Jesus has done. And now Paul, he does this in several of his books actually, now he is transitioning to behavior. That because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done, this is how you behave. This is how you act. This is the decisions that you make. And so I want you to see, what I want you to notice as we work through this text is Paul's going to talk a lot about behavior, but he's going to tie it to identity. He's going to say, because you are this, or because you aren't this, he ties it to identity. He says, because this is who you are, because this is who you aren't, this is how you live. And Paul, and we're going to kind of walk through this. It's almost going to feel like a little bit like a Bible study, but I think that's okay, right? As we, as we determine, I, I hope it is because it's written and done. So um, that Paul's going to kind of pull out, this is who you are in Christ. This is what you look like. So this is how you behave because of that. And he starts in verse one. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the who we are statement in this text is that we are dearly loved children. This is so embedded in what Paul has said so far, right? It's so embedded in the gospel, this narrative that God so loved the world, but he didn't just love the world. I I think we can kind of get that as a concept. He didn't just love the world. He loved you individually. He loved me individually. He loved us collectively. He loves, that's who uh, uh, who he is. He loved us so much that he gave his son, his one and only son, to die for us to pay the price for our sin, to show us grace, we are, according to Paul, dearly loved. Now, I think the cultural narrative on this has shifted just in the time that I've been in ministry, which is getting to be kind of a long time now, but in the time that I've been in the ministry, when I first started out years and years ago, people had this narrative that I tried to fix almost every Sunday. People had a narrative that God hated them. 
that he was out to do. And I was like, no, no, God doesn't hate you. You, you probably remember me preaching that like, God doesn't hate you. God loves you. And a lot of this flowed from some really aggressive preaching uh, that took place a couple generations ago. Um, way, way long ago, Jonathan Edwards preached this sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God, right? Real barn burner, right? You, you would love it, right? Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And so people just kind of walk through from, for generations kind of feeling like, that's me. I'm a sinner in the hand of an angry God, and God kind of hates me. And, and I think the cultural narrative has shifted a little bit. It's not that most people in our culture think that God hates them. They, they don't think that. They think God has to love them. Because they've been good, because they've been whatever, that God is forced to be kind to them because they are kind. God is forced to bless them. God is forced to be good to them. It's not that God just truly loves them. It's that God is restrained by our goodness and our righteousness, and God has to be good to me because I'm a good human. And the narrative that God hates humanity is not very helpful in bringing love into the world because a culture will always follow the example of what they believe God to be. And so if you believe that God is an angry God and he hates creation, that is not a mechanism for bringing love into, into the world at all. That's obvious. But a narrative that God is forced to be good to a good humanity is also not going to result in a loving culture. It will result in a culture of people that are good to good people, that are nice to nice people, that are right to righteous people that are generous to those that I agree with. And Jesus called this out long, long time ago, right? Probably, it sounds a little bit like our culture, right? That if you're in my sphere, if you agree with me politically, if we're walking the same path, I love you. Almost no matter what you do, I love you. But if you waver at all, if you're on a different political path, if you're following a different way of living, then I, I don't feel like I have to love you at all. It flows from a culture's view of who God is, is really what it, what it flows from. And it's, uh, it's not a way of bringing about love into a culture. A countercultural love that says, loving the sinner is important. Loving the one I disagree with is important. Loving the one far from God. Jesus pointed this out years and years ago. I started that sentence and never ended it, so let me end it now. But Jesus said this years and years ago. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Everybody does that. <laughs> like, oh, I, I love my family. I love those I agree with. I love the people that I, I love. If you love. If you love me, I love you. I've even heard, seen that like on T-shirts, Right? You, you're good to me, I'll be good to you. You're kind to me, I'll be kind to you. I love those who love me. Jesus is like, whoop-de-doo. Loose translation. <laughs> right? Whoop-de-doo. Everybody loves that way. <laughs> Everybody loves the people that loves them. But if you want to talk about a different kind of love, loving those that don't agree with you, loving those that are far from God, loving the, the sinner, that comes from a proper understanding of the gospel that says this. While I was a sinner, while I was far away, while I was dead in my sin, Christ loved me. That's the gospel. He's not forced to love me because I'm good, because I'm not. He's not forced to love me because I'm holy and righteous. He has made me holy and righteous. God's not somehow forced by my hand because I'm killing it as a person. He loves me because he is love. And when you understand the gospel, 
And that's the gospel. When you understand the gospel, it changes the way you love others. I've got this picture hanging in my office. I've showed this to you before. I know it's hard to see, but I've got this picture hanging in my office. This is from a vacation uh, to Florida, right? Yeah, Florida several years ago. And we were in a season of life where my son Sam was waking up at the crack of dawn and it didn't matter if we were on vacation or home, he just was waking up early. And so we were on vacation, and so when he woke up super, super early, we said, instead of kind of waking everybody up in the house, let's, we'll walk the beach, and we'll look for seashells every morning. And so on that vacation, every morning, like 6 o'clock, whatever, our family was out on the beach looking for seashells. It is one of my favorite holiday kind of vacation memories that I have, even though we were up early. And Cheryl was walking behind uh, Sam and I, and she clicked this picture with her cell phone. This is just a cell phone pic, and it's so interesting to me. You see kind of Sam walking in my footsteps. I think it's such an image of what we're called to, that because we understand how God has loved us, that while we were still sinners, Christ said, because we understand the gospel, because we understand what Jesus has done, because we understand what God has done, we can't help but walk like he walks. Because love will flow from your understanding of who God is. I don't, whether you believe in God or not, that's true, by the way. That your understanding of God, God hates humanity. Your love will flow from that. God uh, is forced to love humanity because they're good. Your love will flow from that. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Your understanding of the gospel, you can't help but love people differently when you understand the gospel. You can't help but walk in the same way that he walks. So one of the greatest things you can do today is to wear the identity of, called this. I'm a dearly loved child of God. I am dearly loved. And so I'm gonna love the way I've been loved. I'm gonna walk the way that he walked. I'm gonna be kind the way that he was kind. I'm gonna love the way Jesus loved. It's what I'm called to do, verse three. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. The who I am statement in this text is that we are God's holy people. It's a statement of standing, to be sure, of spiritual standing, that when you give your life to Christ, when you come to him, your sins are forgiven and you are made holy. All right, That's your standing. You are made holy. You are declared holy before God. This is your standing before him, that you can have a relationship with God. You can come before him with confidence. You can know and worship him in this life and the next because of that standing. But for many people, it's the, their Christian faith stops there. It's like, okay, I like this message, Steve. I am declared holy. I can enter God's throne room with confidence. I can worship him. My eternity is secured. I like that. Many people, it stops there that my standing before God is simply that, but it's not just, holiness is not just a statement of standing. It's a statement of calling. So going all the way back to, to God's uh, Old Testament covenant with Israel, he always said to his people, because I am your God and because you are my people, you are my dearly loved children, you should live, here's how he said, different lives. You should live 
holy lives. In a word, uh, the, the original kind of Greek and Hebrew carries with it the idea of being set apart. If you wanted to translate it into verbiage that we would use today, it's a standout life. That because of Jesus and because of his grace, you live a standout, set apart, holy life. It's your statement of position that you're holy, you're declared holy, but it's also a statement of calling that we strive to live holy lives in response to God. So he says, there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality. Why? Because we believe that God created sex between a, man, a, a husband and a wife for different reasons that this sermon isn't actually about. But because of God, we recognize that God has a plan for marriage and a plan for sex, clear commands and a will, and sexual immorality is out of place. It's improper. We follow him because we are his holy people. And when there isn't a hint of sexual immorality, you're living in this culture, right? <laughs> when, when you can live, and it's hard, when you can live where someone says, there's not even a hint, there's not even a hint of sexual immorality in them, that certainly does stand out. Coarse joking and obscenity and even foolish talk are also out of place. Words are important to God. When he wanted to create the planet, he used words. When he wanted to call his people into a holy way, he gave them the law, he gave them words. When he wanted to rescue humanity, he sent his son Jesus, who was the word become flesh. When the apostles wanted to encourage and serve the church, they used words. They wrote letters and words. Words are this amazing tool that God has given his holy people. So because we are his holy people, we use words differently. He encourages us, not coarse talk, foolish, all that stuff that he mentions. He encourages us toward thanksgiving, which I didn't plan it this way. This is just a great kind of topic to hit on right now, right? That as we approach Thanksgiving, it's a good thing to be thankful for, a good thing to be thoughtful of, of what am I thankful to God for? How can I express my thanksgiving to him? And certainly, I love listening to you all sing today. When we gather as a church family, it's a great opportunity to come in here as a church family and say, I'm expressing my thanksgiving to God. I'm worshiping with passion. I'm giving him my thanks, especially since we are his holy people. And that has happened. That opportunity has happened because of his grace, his invitation, and his calling. So thanksgiving is embedded in God's people. Not just toward God, though, also toward each other. I would encourage you, as you think about someone that you're thankful for uh, in Christ, as, as you think about that, express th thanksgiving is best when it's expressed. So if you have that thought, express thanksgiving to someone for the role they have played in your life, for, in your life the difference they ha have made. We express thanksgiving to God, we express thanksgiving to people. The text continues, verse 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person uh, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes to those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. If you're like me, when you read a text like that, you're like, uh-oh. I've been disobedient. I've made mistakes. I've sinned. Who you are not in this text because you are a follower of Jesus. He says you are not an idolater. You are a worshiper of Jesus. And you are not among the disobedient. You are not partners with them in this way of, of thinking. And he alludes to this judgment of Christ that is going to come. That we are going to be declared not guilty. We are going to be declared 
holy and righteous and perfect because of Christ, right? This is the, the way that Christians kind of escape that eternal judgment is that God says, man, when I see you, all I can see is my son Jesus because of your faith in him. And so we are spared that. So this text is not saying Christians never mess up. That's not what it's saying. We do plenty. <laughs> you know Christians just like I do, right? We, we screw up plenty. It's not that we never sin, we do. It's not that we never make the wrong choice, we do. This is describing someone who has not chosen Jesus Christ as Lord, so they're an idolater, they're worshiping someone or something else. They have little, if any, interest in obedience to him, and they are a partner with this other way of life, where in reality, if you are a follower of Jesus, here's what is true with you. You know what you're a partner of as, as a Christ follower? You are a partner with grace. That's who you're partnering with. You're a partner with love. You're a partner with worship. You're a partner with the gospel. And so this leads to a different way of thinking, a different way of living, a different way of deciding how to live life. Worshiping Christ and Christ alone, obeying him, partnering with the Holy Spirit, it changes the way we live. That's Paul's point. Verse eight. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of life, light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why he said, wake up, O sleeper, from, uh, wake up, sleeper rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So the who we are statement in this text, we are children of light. That is who you are. That is who I am in Christ. We are children of light. Now, my daughter Lila is afraid of the dark, right? Uh, we, we thought she was afraid of the dark, right? Because there were several nights in a row, through, well, there's been many nights in a row uh, throughout our upbringing of her where she has woken up in the middle of the night terrified of the dark, she comes to our room, she wakes us up. It's a whole thing. <laughs> and I became very, very perplexed when a couple months ago during movie night, we'd be watching a movie and Lila would say, I'd like all the lights out for the movie. Would you? <laughs> would you really? You want all the lights out for the, or you're scared of the dark. What, what, and I, I was racking my head, what is the disconnect? What is the difference? What is going on here? And you know what I figured out it was? She was afraid when she was in a dark room without her mom and dad. But because we were watching the movie, her parents' presence made a difference. Her parents brought a feeling of light into a dark place. That's the disconnect. In her room, she's by herself. She's terrified of the dark. Downstairs while we're watching a movie, mom and dad are there. Sam, probably to a lesser impact, but, but my, mom and dad are there, and I am safe because my mom and dad are there. We live in a dark world, but we have our Father's presence. So even in a dark world, we live, listen, you live as children of light, because that's who you are. And behavior will always follow identity. So the fruit of the light, according to Paul, is goodness, righteousness, and truth. It's finding out what pleases God, Paul says, and doing it. 
You want to know a good definition of, of Christian faith? It's, it's that I'm going to determine what pleases God, and I am going to live my life that way. There's an interesting commentary that Paul gives here on, on exposing the deeds of darkness, that when you do this, when you live as children of light, all of a sudden you expose the deeds of darkness. I think this naturally happens, right? When Lila calls us up there, she's like, I'm sure I saw something in the corner. We turn the light on, and we're like, it's your stuffed animal, baby girl. It's, it's, it's not that scary thing. Right? That, that's exactly what happens, that the light shines and it exposes what's happening in the dark. This is part of the role of the church, right? That as we live out the light, as we live out the truth, as we live out the things Paul has mentioned, sexual purity, as we live out grace, forgiveness, peace, joy, the darkness gets exposed. And you would think when that happens that the culture around the church would say, whoa, I want what you have. I want that light I want that peace. I want that joy. I want that way of living. I want what you have. And according to Peter, 1 Peter 2, that is one option. You are a chosen people. Listen to how similar language. It's two different authors. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's who you are. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. Look at this. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Not a bad vision for a life. That in my office in my family, in my whatever, I am going to live as a child of light because that is who I am and I am going to live such a good life that though they may accuse me of doing wrong, that they may see God and glorify him on the day of his coming. So let me encourage you to live out that vision. This is going to happen throughout your life if you do this well. There are people that are at the office that are gonna be, man, you're going through this really difficult thing and you have peace, how? Or you're going through this really difficult thing, but you have joy. How? Or everybody around here is a thief and a crook, but you operate honestly. Why? And this is going to happen throughout your life as you live out your identity as a child of light. They will be attracted to what you have, how you live, and the decisions you make. One of the big debates in the church the last couple decades has been how attractive should the worship service be? So, you know, how loud the music, how bright the lights, how much video, how attractive do you want your worship service to be? And there's nothing wrong with the conversation. You have to figure out how to reach your culture, right? But I've always believed more than an attractive worship service, attractive people of God living as children of life. That's how a church grows. When people are in their community, when they're at work, when they're with their families, and they are just living out their identity as children of light. People will be attracted to what you have. The truth is, not all will. Some will not. Sometimes, the darkness ends up resenting the light. Jesus predicted this would happen. Men will hate you. All men, he actually said, will hate you because of me. Because you are my children. Because you are children of the light. So don't be taken aback by an angry response or surprised by it. But instead, can I encourage you to be motivated by it? That man, I am living the life that Jesus declared I would live. That as a child of the light, there are people that are attracted to what I have and there are people that are angered by it. And 
you wish they wouldn't be angry by it, but they are. And the best thing we can do is to continue to be motivated to continue to live as children as light of light because that is who we are. Verse 15. Be careful then how you live, not as wise, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks to the giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a follower of Jesus, the identity statement about who you are is you are filled with the Spirit. When we give our lives to Christ, when we believe and we come to him, we receive the Spirit. This means a couple things according to Paul. We live wise lives. The Spirit is sometimes called the Spirit of Wisdom. So we live wisely because the days are evil and that's just always how the spirit leads. The spirit will always lead you to wisdom. In addition to that, we understand that part of what the spirit is doing, and this excites me, hopefully it does you too, that part of what the spirit is doing is he is leading us to opportunities throughout our week. Opportunities to love God and opportunities to serve his people. So I don't know if you've ever thought about the the, the structure of your day that way. But I want you to begin to think about, I wonder what would happen if I started to view the day ahead of me as that, man, the Spirit is going to lead me into opportunities for me to love. The Spirit is going to lead me into opportunities to share my faith. The Spirit is going to lead me into opportunities to serve someone. The Spirit's going to lead me into opportunities to speak truth. And I wonder what would happen if we just started to see our day that way. Like I said, Sherlock, we get obsessed with our plans. We got this. I mean, we have a lot of plans in the day with two kids. But right, we got this, we got this, we got this. I, I want to start thinking this way that, man, in addition to all the plans that I have, I want to be increasingly aware that the Spirit also has plans for my day. And I don't want to so structure my day that's like, sorry, Spirit, I've got to be at this place at four o'clock. Right? So I can't stop in love. I can't stop. I'm, I'm overscheduled, Spirit. And so I just want to have a heightened awareness of this for me. Someone who loves plans. We, you come into our uh, dining area. We have a four-month calendar plan there uh, written all up. Yeah, it's beautiful, right? Um, <laughs> we love plans, but I want to make sure that I'm aware the Spirit has plans for me too. So it's fine for me to make plans, but I just want to be aware that there are times where I'm going to come across someone. It's like, man, I'm going to have to be late for something. I've got to pray with this person. Or I'm going to be late for, I've got to serve this person. Or to, that the Spirit has led me to this place and the Spirit has plans for me too. So he says, the Spirit is leading you to a couple things. It's leading you to kind of sing these psalms and hymns uh, and songs to one another. Uh, so l- let me ask you a question. What type of song do you think the people in your life would say that you sing? Your kids, your grandkids, the people at your work. If if you were to say, man, what type of song are they bringing to this workplace, to this family, to this? They say, well, they're kind of bringing like an angry music, yeah, yeah, heavy metal angry music, or maybe it's upbeat boy band music, everything's up and to the right. Right? Maybe it's like sad, depressed music. 
What type of music are you bringing? Because the Spirit wants us to be an encouraging people who speaks truth and sings songs of truth to the people around us. It makes a huge difference. We want to be uh, uh, the Spirit... uh, Paul will write in a different section, love, joy, and peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the types of songs that we want to sing to the people around us. But we don't just sing songs to one another. We also sing songs to God, always giving thanks to him for everything. And that's a good spot to be in, that I'm going to be a person that the song I sing to God thanks him for everything. That when he delivers me from the giant that we sang about, when he delivers me, I thank him for the deliverance. When he empowers me to overcome, when he he doesn't deliver me from the crisis, he empowers me, I'm thankful. When I recognize how he's been present with me, I thank him. And when you remember the gospel, how he died for you and he loves you and he has saved you, you thank him. It's a good spot for us to end, to think about, man, I want to be a person that when I think about my kids and my wife and my church family, I want to be a person that they declare the songs that I sang to them and the songs that I sang to God were changed by the gospel because the gospel changes everything. It's who we are. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day. Lord, would you kind of help us? There's a lot in these texts to unpack. Would you help us to have the right identity in you. I know in this room, it is so easy for us to, oh man, I'm, I'm this or I'm that, I'm a loser, whatever the case may be. And we start to live in this identity that then determines our steps. And I pray that this has been challenging to us to rethink our identity, that in you, we are dearly loved children of God. We are filled with your Holy Spirit. We are children of light. This is who we are. We are partners with you and your grace. Would you help us to begin to see our true identity and may our lives and our decisions and our families and our marriages be changed because we wear the proper identity. And action always, always, always flows from identity. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So we're going to receive communion right now, and it's an opportunity for you to express thanksgiving to God for his grace, to wear the identity of dearly loved child of God. Action, decisions, behavior always flows from identity. And so right now we want to wear the proper identity that he died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us, not because we were so good, because he is so good. And he just loves us. And our behavior changes as a result of that love. May we wear that identity well. And you'll find two cups as they pass the emblems, two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some bread representing Jesus' body. The other has some juice representing his blood. And you can just, just spend some time thanking him. Today, let's just say thank you for what you have done. And let's begin to wear that as our identity. And then I'll come back up in just a few minutes and we'll receive communion together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. God, today and right now, what we want to say in this moment is thank you. Thank you for making it possible to know that we are your dearly loved children. 
We are children of light, partners with your grace. And may we be forever changed by this identity that you have given us. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Will you stand? We're going to close with one last song of worship. If you have any questions about our church or about the message, we have a couple of elders that will be in the overflow uh, immediately after church. They'd love to talk with you, interact with you, pray with you. They, they love to do that. Um, I'll be in the classroom beyond that over uh, to answer any questions anyone has about our bylaw changes. I'll be over there for a few minutes after church and would love to interact with you on that. Um, God bless you guys. You have a great week ahead. Live in your identity. Understand your identity and behavior will change. Decisions will change. We can't help but live differently in the face of the reality of the cross. God bless you guys. Let's close with one last song.